I'm Jennifer Delacuadri, and this is the Raising Happy Teens podcast, where you learn how to successfully guide your teenager into adulthood without losing your sanity in the process. Let's do this. I have my good friend Jennifer Delacuadri on with us today. And I want to just tell you a little bit about Jennifer before she gets talking. So Jennifer is amazing working with adolescents and teenagers. She is a life coach for that age group. Um, she also taught in the school system. So she truly understands kids. She also is a mom of two fantastic kids as well, who are one is heading off to college. And I just think that with Jennifer's wealth of knowledge and experience, she can truly help navigate some of this. And so obviously, as we are talking today, we're talking about the brain. We're going to talk about like this teenage brain. So excited for all the things that she's going to share with us today. But one of the things I want us to just keep in mind is, as you remember about the brain, is that as teenagers, we talk about children and how they're emotionally ready. Teenagers, we've talked about how they are not rationally there yet. That's the biggest difference. And I want, I'm just so excited for Jennifer to talk about all of the things that she knows about that. So we're going to first dive in. And so welcome, Jennifer, to the podcast. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. I've learned so much from you and I'm so happy to be able to share what I've learned and my experience with your audience. Perfect. So Jennifer, tell us, I guess, actually really want to go here first. What made you decide to work with teenagers? I started working with teenagers because I remember what it was like to be a teenager and how hard it was. The ups and downs, the unknowns, the lack of self-confidence, the body image issues, all of the outside influences. And I remember just how crazy that time was. And I also have two teen girls of my own. And I was noticing that in my daughters and in their friends, that it was going beyond just what I had experienced as a teen, that they were dealing with a lot more like magnified things. And we can talk about that if you want down the road, why, but I just really was feeling called to support them because there's definitely a gap between the services that are available. So they have services at school and the counselors, even if they are fantastic, they're overloaded. Mm -hmm. And then there are therapists, which again, highly overloaded. And I just wanted to be able to fill that gap a little bit and offer support for those in between people who need a little bit more than just what's available at school. Yeah, absolutely. And as a therapist, I truly appreciate life coaches for teenagers because a lot of time teenagers honestly are dealing with these life issues that are really, really a struggle to understand. And they're not quite at the mental health capacity. Like they're not dealing. Yes, we're, we all deal with some anxiety, but they're not dealing with truly some of these mental health concerns. They just really want to know, how do I figure this out? How do I get through these circumstances that I'm in? Like, what do I do? And to me, that is why life coaching is so valuable for teenagers because sometimes too, there's also stigma with therapy. It's like, oh, I'm going to go see my therapist and I've got to go talk about these things. And I've definitely seen that. I've had a lot of teenagers that I've worked with in therapy and we do a lot more life coaching for that very reason, because they truly do just need more of the skills. They need just more of that understanding as opposed to tell me how this feels and what's going on here. And I know I've overgeneralizing therapy a lot, but that's just kind of the idea that I really, really appreciate that aspect that you take with them. And it's so good to get started in the teen years before things can spiral out of control. And what's great is the clients I work with, we catch those little buds 
of self-doubt in the very beginning before they can really take hold and impact the entire future and choices that they make. And our work together is very future focused. Of course, we do talk about the past and how it's impacting the current, but it's all in an effort to move forward to a place where they feel confident and empowered and really in charge of their life. And that's what it's all about. Oh, I love all of that. So one of the things that you mentioned that I think is really crucial is when we talk about teenagers, we talk about their brain and we talk about how it is so different. And I love your perspective about why is the teenage brain so different, even from childhood and then these adults? Like, Why do we need to be really concerned about this teenage brain? Like you said before, one of the biggest challenges is that the teen's rational brain is not fully developed. So they're having all of the adult expectations put upon them and the push out of the house and to figure out what you want to do with your life. And they just don't have the capacity to rationalize these things. So it's stressful for them. And also when it comes to peers and interacting with other people. There's a lot of a challenge to regulate emotions and a lot of impulsivity. And that's normal, of course, but that also feeds into when the decisions are being made and they look back and they look poorly upon the things that they have done. They start to beat themselves up. And again, it hits their confidence. So because they, even until like, I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast, the mid-20s, they're not even fully developed, yet they're expected to behave like an adult, and they're just not there yet. And so it can really impact their self-image and have them think there's something wrong with them when they are fully developmentally appropriate. I think that's such a crucial thing is that developmentally they are appropriate, but we as adults are placing such high demands and such high standards, so to speak, on these teenagers. I mean, I think about, you know, my seventh grader, you know, she's in seventh grade right now and she comes home with things and I think, what, why are we, why are we doing this now? <laughs> why, you know, what's, what's with this schoolwork that we're doing? What's with these big choices that you have to make right now? Like, why is she deciding at 13 what she wants to be for the rest of her life? We are expecting our teenagers to make all of these rational choices and decisions when they themselves are still trying to figure out how do they fit into this world? What is this world really like? And how do they experiment? And what, you know, all the things that come from that. And I just think it's such an interesting dichotomy that we have these kids that we want them to know it and they're still trying to figure it out along the way. And that really impacts their identity, who they are, because the clients that I work with, I can't tell you how many times I've been working with a client and they have said to me, everybody else seems to figure, know what they're doing and then figure, have all their stuff figured out. And that's because they're, you know, very black and white in their thinking, a lot of them, mm-hmm. and it's all or nothing. So they see so-and-so who knows what college they want to go to and what they want to study. And they're like, I have no idea what I want to do. There's definitely something wrong with me. I'm behind. And they're watching media with these influencers who have their morning routine and eat their healthy stuff and have their nighttime facial. And, you know, all of these expectations are placed upon them. And in their mind, it's constantly telling them, I'm not good enough. I don't have it figured out. There's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And the biggest challenge with all of that is it really does impact their identity and who they are. And that's something that's long. 
And I think I really want to go deeper into this idea, this identity and this confidence crisis is kind of what we could call it because these, these teenagers are, you know, we're expecting them to, like we said, grow up and be all this. And they're sitting there thinking like my 13 year old, but what if I still like squishy mallows? And what if I still like to play with Legos? Is that okay? Do I have to necessarily go automatically to these routines and catching my workouts and this protein shakes and like all of these adult type things. I mean, that's one, one, only one aspect of it when they still want to be like, can I just go play with my friends? Can I go for a bike ride? And yet we expect them to say, no, I'm going to now go be, do this. And I have to be disciplined and I have to figure all these things out right here, right now. And one of the biggest challenges with that is that they care so deeply about their peers and what their peers think of them. Mm -hmm. And it can be really hard for them because they are worried constantly about if they fit in, if they're going to fit in, if they're going to be accepted. And that, again, is a natural part of adolescent development, just way back from when we were created as humans, we want to be included and safe. That's still there. And if they have that inclination to go play Legos or play with dolls or whatever it is they deem as immature or little kid, they immediately think, I'm not going to be accepted. I need to act this certain way to be accepted and be included and therefore be safe. I think this is a real crucial part because we've talked about, for those of you who my listeners before, you know, we talk about this a lot. I talk about this need to feel like we belong and feel like we are included. And as adults, we feel like it's almost so hyper-focused. But if I could, I want you to just think if you feel like as an adult, you're really focused on belonging, you have to almost a hundred times that for a teenager because they are 100% not just thinking about, is this going to be hurtful for me or am I going to enjoy this? They're truly thinking, if I do something wrong, I will not only be rejected and shunned, it would like affect everything. It is so like bigger in their head that even we as adults, and I know as an adult, I always am like, oh, somebody's not going to like me. Now just take that as a teenager and just amplify that 100%. And that is what they are dealing with on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. And that's why so many of them struggle with social anxiety. Because of how they're being bombarded with images and ideas of what is normal, accepted, and good. And if they look at themselves in comparison to that and don't feel like they fit that mold, then it makes them really uncomfortable around their peers. And I talk with my clients all of the time about their anxiety that they have in meeting people they don't know or being in front of people or talking in front of even a small group of their peers. It's because there's so much judgment, but their perception of what people are thinking and if they're even thinking about them is totally distorted. Mm -hmm. They imagine that everybody is thinking about them and also thinking negatively about them. Whereas the truth is, and this is where the rational brain really comes in, that these people are not thinking about them. They're thinking about themselves, but it's hard for them to understand it because they don't have the rational awareness to really get introspective about it. But what I find is when I'm talking with them about it and bring it up and we really start to question how true these thoughts really are, that's when things can really turn around and they can realize how distorted it really is. And I want to definitely go into this. And so one of the things, when did this happen for teenagers? Like I think about how sometimes my little kids are very, you know, almost fearless, almost. It's like, they just accept, they love, they're totally, everything's great. And then it's almost like 
I don't want to say overnight, but it feels sometimes like with our teenagers, there's the switch that just got flipped that suddenly it's like, I don't belong. I'm not good enough. I'm like all of these negative things. And while I don't love the generalization, because a lot of times people are like, oh, that's only in like girls. I've seen it in both boys and girls. So there cannot be this. It's only young women that we were experiencing this with. It shows up differently. And I'd love to also go into like, so like this two-part question is when did this like trigger gets switched almost. And then what's the difference between boys and girls when it comes to this, this particular issue that we're talking about? I'm going to speak to just my perspective and my experience with my clients and my own team girls. And when did this happen? I, I don't want to be one of those people that blames social media because social media, and I say this all the time, social media has a lot of really good benefits to it. But I believe it all starts around the age when their peers start getting a phone and they want a phone. And then the parent feels pressure to have a phone. And their brain is not prepared for the influx of images and information. They're not developmentally able to process what they're seeing. And so it really does impact their mental well-being and again, their sense of identity. So again, when they hit puberty, we all remember when we hit puberty, it just feels very awkward. It's like, we call it the awkward years because you're growing into your own and still trying to figure yourself out. But because they are so heavily influenced by not just the people they see at school, but by all the, whoever it is that they're seeing on their phone or on the TV and on the internet and on YouTube and all the things, it's like magnified. So that's always been there. I feel like it's always been a thing, at least in modern times. And then when it comes to boys and girls, there's such a range because girls can really get picked on for their looks and for all the labels that can be placed on girls and the mean girl stuff. But boys, what I've seen is that there are so many boys that don't fit into that jock star athlete box. And so either they try to fit in and then they just constantly feel like they're miserable and they hate it, or they don't try to fit in and then they get made fun of. And so it's like, they can't win. Yeah. And even those people who do fit into the quote unquote popular jock, they're also expected to live up to an expectation and the pressure really hits hard for them. So both ends of the spectrum, all the way from female to male, all all ranges, the messages that they're all getting is you don't fit in, you're not enough, this isn't good enough, you need to look this way, you need to be this way. And it's all the conditioning that's been created over hundreds and hundreds of years of what's acceptable and what's not. This is such an important thing that, you know, sometimes I wish that I could go back and I could just say, it's all good. Like we all are good. There's no need to try to be the top of anything. And that's probably where many people would say, no, we're supposed to want to encourage and thrive and things to that effect. But I feel like that's such a different concept of trying to always be your best as opposed to being my best at somebody else's expense or even feeling like I have to be a certain way because of a pressure put on me or because somebody has said this is what's acceptable. And I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of our teens is that they are, like you said, who am I? 
where do I fit in? Where do I belong? And if that is somehow different from a norm, a narrative or anything to that effect, then there's something wrong with me. And unfortunately, when there's something wrong with me, we do, they do many things. It's either we try to shun or we try to belong in other ways. And it's this fake it till we make it type of thing, which then is internally hurting them just as much as if they are true to themselves and authentically living their best lives. One of the things too, I mentioned, I've been mentioning a lot of outward influences, but the biggest influence is actually in the home and that is the parents. And the challenge though, is as Gen X people, we grew up with this conditioning of you go to high school, you go to college, you get a degree, then you get a job, and then you make a lot of money and then you buy a house. And, you know, all of these standards of what's expected and what's successful Mm-hmm. And so when we have kids, we're like, okay, we want what's best for our kids. And so we're like, okay, you have to go to college. You have to make a lot of money. But this generation of kids is not buying into that. And so there are, again, are two routes or there's multiple routes that a person can take. And that is constantly trying to please their parent by being something that they're not really wanting to be. We're going against it completely and risking being ostracized or the parent is telling them, oh, you're going to fail. You're making a mistake. And again, it goes back to that message. You're not good enough. You can't be yourself. You can't be who you really are because then you will be a quote unquote failure or you'll not have any money or you won't get a job because that's what we grew up being told. Yeah, absolutely. As you talk about that, I think about that inner and outer critic. You know, sometimes that inner critic is within us and the outer critic is all around us. And even as you're talking about this, I'm really hearing that sometimes the inner critics are our own, what we've been taught at home, like what we, the messages we're hearing there and that we as parents are sometimes so focused on, well, this is what made my life good. So let me make your life good doing the same things. And just as you mentioned, our teens are like, well, that may have worked in the olden days, yeah. <laughs> but it's not going to work in these Back days. in the 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> back, back so long ago. <laughs> yeah. And it's really hard because all of the parents of the teens I work with, obviously they're invested and they care about their teens well-being because they hire me. It's clear. And they're doing the best they can. And the teen knows this. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they're just not aware of the impact of the things that they're saying of what it's having on their team because they think it's helpful, but it's actually not. And that's, what's so hard about being a parent is you're trying your very best, but the things that you're saying and doing aren't necessarily in the best interest of your kid. So I don't want to leave that topic. I want to know, like, as a parent, what are the best things that we need to start really doing to make their, I mean taking this inner critic and kind of shooing them away. Like what are the things that we as parents can really start doing there? The most important thing that a parent can do is to get some help or do the work themselves somehow. Yeah. And that includes identifying their own inner critic, questioning their conditioning and their values, getting clear on their values. So that when you as a parent know what is important to you, then you can instill that in your child. Another thing that is so important to do is just to normalize ups and downs, validate your kid's experience without trying to fix it and let them feel their feelings, sit with them. What I always like to say is when your teenager is upset about something, instead of saying, oh, it's not that bad, or, oh, it's you're going to be okay, it's all going to work out, 
what that does is basically tell the teen, oh, you know, what you're feeling is wrong. It's bad. It's not okay to feel that way. We need to turn it around ASAP. Mm -hmm. But what they really need is to feel safe, to feel their feelings and to think the things that they're thinking without hearing what mom or dad have to say about it. They don't want to know what you have to say. And if they do, they'll ask. And what ends up happening is they will not tell you things because they know you're going to jump in and either try to fix it or tell them what to do. And they don't want that. Yeah, They need safe space. And it all just comes down to safety, safety to feel their emotions, to be who they are, and to pursue the things that they're interested in, to be upset, to try things and to fail, but to know that they have that safe landing place in you as a parent. You know, as you talk about this, I just think about how many adults I've worked with that want and crave the exact same thing. They want to know that they are safe to be authentically them. They're safe to also figure that out, find those values. And I want to take for a minute, because I know many of you adults are listening and you're saying, well, okay, this is all, this is all good. And I think Jennifer really hit on it. I want you to take a look at yourself first. Take a look at, say, what are the thoughts that you have going through your own mind? What are the things that you're telling yourself? And I'm going to bet everybody can go back and you are hearing your parents' voice in your head. You're hearing your grandparents' voice in your head. You're hearing basically the adults in your head, even as an adult. They are the ones that are still driving the decisions we make, the things we do. So if we can take a step back and look at that and say, if I want my child to feel like they can be the transition, they can truly take this and not feel that heavy burden, not feel like they have to be this example out there that we put there, then what you can do is say, what voices do I want them to have in their head? If I have my mom or my dad telling me, this is, you know, you're not good enough or you have to go to college or you have to do et cetera, et cetera. But I want my child to know, hey, you can be successful. You can be whatever you put your mind to, you know, you can be you can be the president. You can be all the things that we used to tell them when they were children, tell yeah. them that as like adults being able to really appreciate that. Yeah. And it's like you had mentioned the inner and outer critic. It's just like having an inner and outer support team, right? Like instead of seeking validation and looking to maybe not the healthiest avenues to feel better or to feel like you are doing an okay job, Having your cheerleader or your circle on the outside that will lift you up no matter what, but also having that cheerleader inside that believes in yourself. And if you're really wanting to be able to instill that into your teen, you need to be able to do that for yourself as well. Absolutely. As you're working with a lot of these teenagers, I know because I happen to know Jennifer does this, you do work with the parents too, to tell them, Hey, here's some things that you need to be doing. Cause I've noticed this comes up a lot with the teenagers I'm working with. So what are some best advice that the parents we've all screwed up? We've all done it. So how do, what does a parent do to change that around and make it different? The important thing is to always be aware and reflect. If something didn't go well, ask yourself what I could have done differently. And always approach parenting with curiosity versus judgment. And that's judgment of self and of your team. So curiosity is more like, what was it inside of me that led me to say that thing or led me to do the thing that I now regret doing? And where did that come from? And it's usually from a place of fear. I'm afraid that this is going to happen to my kid, or I'm afraid that I will look bad because I have a child who does X, Y, Z. A lot of it is fear and a lot of it is self-doubt and not really trusting yourself as a parent. 
So give yourself those moments of reflection and awareness and always be honest with your kid. And when you're talking to them and you realize you made a mistake to own it and say, this is part of being human. And this is what we do when we do something that we wish we hadn't done or that we could have done better to own it, stand up straight and say, listen, I didn't handle that well. I would like to talk about this or apologize or talk about it in general so that it doesn't just sit there. Like I'm perfect. I would never make a mistake. I'm going to just pretend that didn't happen and gloss it over. And yeah, I do work with the parents because the most important thing is that they spend the majority of their time with this teen. I see them once a week. And so I get an insight laser focused, but they get to see them on the day to day. And so I make sure that I tell them pinpoint exactly here is how you can support your teen. And I like to think of it as a triangle where the parents and I are the bottom two parts, and then we're holding the teen up at the top. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We're all a team. And also providing a space for the parents to let the things off of their chest that they feel like they failed at and just validating, hey, I hear you. Mm -hmm. Parenting is hard and you're doing the best that you can. And you're always learning and just being aware of that. You know, the thing that just keeps coming up over and over for me as I hear this is these are things that we want our teens to develop now. Like we want them to develop the art of curiosity. We want them to develop the art of evaluating like what's working or what's not. We want them to evaluate that I can have all these emotions. It's safe to have them. Like we want our teens to experience all of that. And a lot of times, I think, unfortunately, we as adults, we're like, well, it's just easier if they would experience it this way, or if it would just be whatever my experience was, and I can manipulate or, you know, whatever that looks like. And I just think as you're talking about all those things, the developing teen brain needs all of that, needs that curiosity, needs to know that they can make the mistakes, needs to know that they can experiment and that they can, you know, feel like they can do that, but then also turn to that support system of their parents to be able to say, this isn't working out the way that I thought. What's going on? What do I do here? Without the judgment, without the fear of I'm going to disappoint them. I'm letting them down somehow. For sure. And it's all about normalizing making mistakes and nobody's perfect. That's another thing that teens really struggle with is perfectionism. Oh, yeah. When you, as a parent, are able to say, I'm not perfect, I make mistakes. And here's a mistake I made. And this is what we do when we make a mistake. A mistake doesn't mean anything has gone wrong with you. It's something that you did that you shouldn't have done or regret doing. Absolutely. It's just normal. It's part of being a human again. I love this. You know, you keep talking about this normalizing. And I think too often, like, you know, I've talked about this before and we're going to just kind of wrap this here. I want you to think the teenage brain, they're not fully rational yet. So they're still trying to figure out what rational looks like. So the more that we normalize that for them, just like, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about normalizing emotions for children. And I just think when we normalize it, it's okay to be sad, happy, all of that. What we're doing with teenagers is we're normalizing decision-making. We're normalizing rational thought. We're normalizing abstract thought. We're normalizing all the aspects of thinking so that this child can then say, oh, wait, this emotion I'm feeling, I now know what to do with it because I'm allowing myself to be rational with it. And I think too often we're like, no, 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 it's supposed to be the other way around. We're supposed to just automatically be rational 
so that we can then deal with these things. And I think that's such a powerful part is we as humans normalizing all the behaviors, period. That's the best thing that we can do in those situations. Absolutely. And I love what you're saying about them being able to take cues and learn from what they're seeing, even though they may not have the full capacity of rational thought they still are learning and growing through their observation. And it kind of reminds me of the old saying, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's something that was said long time ago from parents, but now it's more like do as I do and yeah. letting yourself be an example. Love it. I think one of the other things is we just talk about confident teens. And I'm hearing this a lot is we as the adults, the more confident we are, our children naturally feed off of that. But one last area I think we want to look at is, is there a difference between confidence and disrespect? Really good question. Confident people are not disrespectful because they're aware of the other person's experience. And that's where empathy comes in. And when you're confident, you're not internally focused. You're focused on yourself and everyone around you. So when there's disrespect, it can come from a place of, I'm not feeling confident. I'm not feeling good enough. So I'm going to lash out in some way, whether it be anger or frustration or talking back or, you know, a behavior that could be detrimental, like harmful behaviors and choices. So when a teen is confident, they will be less likely to be disrespectful because they'll be willing to stand up for themselves in a way that is kind. But also, I always teach my clients to have authoritative communication style versus aggressive or passive. Hmm. Being able to stand up for yourself and state what you're feeling and what you're thinking and what you're wanting, but also keeping in mind the other person's experience and their needs as well so that everybody's being heard. And it does take a lot of confidence to be able to do that. And the communication comes with the confidence. And that's where the disrespect can really just be coming from a lack of confidence, honestly. Oh, that's such, I just love how you just put that where when we are confident, we are empathetic towards others. We're never seeking, going back to the, you know, pulling this all together. We're not seeking to say you're different. You don't belong. We're confident in saying you're different. We all belong. And then taking that and then being able to say, and this isn't right. This is something we need to change. And one of the things that I think I admire most about this upcoming generation, we can say, is that they're social activists. A lot of them, they are out there saying, this is wrong. Listen to us. You know, this is what we think needs to happen and change. And you have to give them credit because that also comes from, I'm going to call it our generation where we're able to say there was wrong, let's change it. But we were still so inundated with you can't, you're supposed to fall in line. You're supposed to do these things. And just the fact that our kids honestly are saying, this is wrong. Let's stand up for it. Really, I think goes to the fact that they are moving forward more of what we want in our society. So rather than trying to silence their voices, we need to let them speak out and be louder with it as well. Yeah. And I really do think that this generation being paired with our generation is a perfect match because we grew up wanting to buck the system and change things up. And we, a lot of us made a big impact and these teens are being uh, loud to speak their mind. And they're surrounded by our generation who is like, yeah, tell us what you think. I want to hear what you think. Let's do something about it. 
really like it's a perfect pairing. It's such a, it's such an amazing thing. And I, I love the work you're doing because it really is helping those teenagers step more into that voice and to be able to say it is safe to have that voice. It is safe to be doing that. Because even though we expect them to be these total mini humans, I'm going to call it like totally rational in, in all aspects, they're not completely rational in all aspects. They need to still know that it's okay to make all of these things do, do them wrong. It's totally fine. But we, as this, as the parents or the support system are around them as that support system, we're going to be that safety net to hold them up, to let them make all of that. And know that we're not going to put holes there to say, nope, now you have to do it my way. It has to be my way or there's no way at all. It's like putting bumpers up on the bowling lane and letting them move around as much as they want, but with safety. Mm -hmm. And when you know your values, you can create that safety and instill it in your team so that they can pursue the things that are important to them, but also stay true to who they are. Oh, I love it. This conversation has been so impactful and so insightful. And I truly hope for all of you listening that you are sitting there thinking, our teenagers are not a problem. <laughs> like, oh, they, so glad you said that. <laughs> they, are, they are not the problem. Yeah. They need to be supported. And the best way that we can do that is when we understand our brain and we understand what that looks like so that we can then help our teens understand their brain and what that looks like. And the better that we do that all together is when we will truly, our society is, ah, it's just such a beautiful pairing that comes together rather than feeling like we are in competition with each other to just survive. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the work that you're doing is so great as well. It's just all of us getting more aware of our patterns and tendencies so that we can create a better future for ourselves, but also for our generations to come. So good. So Jennifer, I was like, I could talk to you all day, forever. (laughs) I would love to know how do people find you when they've got teenagers? Like, Tell me where they find you and then specifically who you're helping these days. So I help teenagers all the way from preteen through young adult and their parents. I work a lot with teens who lack confidence and self-esteem, struggle with social anxiety, or just anxiety in general, lack of self-worth. I help them build up their confidence and just figure out what it is they want for themselves and then support their parents along the way. And you can find me on Instagram at jennifer.delaquadri. And I also have a podcast called Raising Happy Teens. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and find me there. Love it. And she does, you guys all need to go follow her on Instagram, by the way, because she has the greatest reels where she really does just break it down so simply. Like I sometimes, I will I will just stalk and watch her because I'll be like, oh, Yes, that is such a great, important point. So she's got some fantastic stuff out there for you. I know that there's also many ways that you can reach her, contact her. I think my friends, I am not above saying, you know, I do, I've worked with teenagers. I love teenagers. Jennifer truly is a master working with the teenagers. So for those of you that have that age and you're saying, I need to really just know what to do here, follow her, start looking at Jennifer do what she says. And all of her information will be obviously my show notes, but you know, go Mm -hmm. ahead, crack all that. And then I promise you, like just the information she puts out there. I have done with my own little 13 year old. She already knows, oh, there's mom doing her thing again. It's like, it's so, it's so important information. So. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to find me, you can also go to my website, jenniferdelacuadri.com and schedule a consultation and we can talk about your teen and what it is you're wanting for your teen. And if you'd like to learn more about working with me, we can talk about it on that call as well. 
Love it. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being here today for all the wonderful insights about how our teenage brains are still developing, how we can support them. And so I really appreciate that. So thank you all for being here today. And I want you all to know our brain is ever evolving, ever changing. And as it does, we just have to be aware that the more we can understand it, love it, appreciate it, the more it will help us through everything that we're facing. So thank you again for being here. Thank you. Until next time. I was like, <laughs> you liked this episode, I want to invite you to follow me on Instagram at jennifer.delacuadri, where you'll find more tips, inspiration, and connection to help you navigate this unique and sometimes challenging season of parenthood. I'll see you there.